Hey, this is Byron, and I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Church. Thanks for listening to our weekly sermon podcast. I hope this message blesses you, encourages you, and helps you experience life change through Jesus. For more sermons like this, blogs, resources, or opportunities to get connected, visit us at www.redemptiontx.com. Well, here we go, picking up where we left off. We're going to be diving back into our sermon series through the book Song of Solomon that we're calling The Bible's Guide to a Better Marriage. Now, this week for me, crazy week. I would love to have been able to prepare an introduction, but I just didn't have enough time. Between meetings and agendas and lunch and between dinner and hanging out with the family and I have a wedding this weekend, I'm preaching at another church, and we have men's prayer tomorrow morning. It was a crazy week, so I need some help when it comes to my introduction. You're going to a little audience participation this morning. I'm going to ask you a question, and whoever's brave enough to answer, okay, praise the Lord for you. So let me ask this, okay? How did you and your spouse meet? How did you and your spouse meet? If you're watching online, go ahead and leave it in the comments. How did your spouse meet? Anybody want to volunteer as tribute? What about you? How did your spouse meet? Oh, miracles do happen, right? (laughs) Miracles do happen. Okay, we are in church, so let's keep it PG, but it's redemption, PG-13, okay? How did you guys meet? Anybody else? Anybody else? Yeah, what about you guys? In high school. In high school? High school, sweetheart. So cute. So cute. Anybody else? How'd you meet? How'd you meet? What about you? Oh, a singles department in the church. Here's what I always tell young couples who meet in the church. You want to make sure you leave an ESV study Bible between the two of you. That's how much room you need to leave between the two of you. But, hey, praise the Lord for you. How many of you met on the internet? Anybody meet online? Online dating? Okay, me and Ashley, we met online. Fifteen years ago, me and Ashley met on this obscure website. You've probably never heard of it before. It's called MySpace. Okay, any of you ever heard of MySpace? Me and Ashley met on MySpace 15 years ago. Now, 15 years ago, when you meet somebody on the internet, totally different than meeting somebody online today. Like when you meet somebody on the internet 15 years ago, it was either a murderer or an old dude living in his mom's basement. Okay? I didn't know what to expect. I was hoping for a murderer because I definitely don't want to get with an old guy in his mom's basement. Amen? And praise the Lord, Ashley turned out to be neither. I was so excited when she turned out to be neither. 15 years ago, me and Ashley met online. And online dating has become a really prominent role in dating today. In fact, as I was looking it up this week, what I found was this. 30% of young adults between the ages of 18 and 30 are have a relationship that formed on an online dating app like Tinder, OkCupid, or Christian Mingle. 30% of relationships start online. 12% of marriages in the last five years come from online dating. And half of young adults have a online dating app account. 50% of you. I know who redemption is. I know where you're at. I know where you're meeting each other. So here's what I want you to do. I want to be able to help you be able to figure out the crazy world of online dating. Okay, it's Song of Solomon. So I thought I would just kind of start off today by giving you some tips for online dating because it can be confusing. So I want to I want to help you. I'm your pastor. Don't say I never helped you do anything. So, okay, here's what you need to know. When you're going through online dating and you see their profile, I want to help interpret it for you. Okay, so if you meet a woman and she says she's in her 30s, that means she's 39. If you meet a guy who says he's 30-ish, that means he's 52. 
if you see a guy who says he's huggable, right, that means don't expect a six pack because he's got a cooler, if you know what I mean. <laughs> if you meet a woman who says she's laid back, what that means is she's probably wearing sweatpants. <laughs> If you meet a guy who says he's down to earth, that means he doesn't have a job and he hopes that you do. <laughs> and if you meet a guy who says he's romantic, that means he looks better by candlelight, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Just trying to give you some tips when it comes to online dating. But in all seriousness, today's going to be an incredible sermon. If you're watching online, we want you to go ahead and click the share button because I believe that today is a message that everybody needs. We're going to talk about three things that every relationship must do to have a better marriage. Whether you're dating, single, engaged, whether you're married, or if it's complicated, three things every relationship needs to do if you want to have a better marriage. Today, the song title, not sermon title, the song title, because it's Song of Solomon, is called Catch the Foxes. We're going to be talking about how to catch the foxes, and then the second thing we're going to see is conquer the fears, and the third thing we're going to look at is creating a future. The first thing you need to do is catch the foxes. What's the foxes? The foxes are the little things in a relationship that if you don't pay attention to, eventually over time become very big things. It's, it's the foxes. We want to catch the foxes, and then we want to conquer the fears. In relationships, people have fears, and the biggest fear of any relationship is that it's not going to work or that it might end in divorce, and so I want to help you today conquer those fears, and then number three, we're going to create a future. She's going to give some dating advice to the daughters of Jerusalem, that is the young single people in the room, and she's going to give them some advice on how to create a future, because if you're single, the decisions you make today determine the type of marriage you have in your future. So we're going to see three things. We're going to catch the foxes, we're going to conquer the fears, and we're going to create a future. If you have your Bibles, we're in Song of Solomon chapter 2, starting in verse 8. She speaks first. And here's what she says. The voice of my beloved. It's Hebrew poetry. It's a song between a husband and a wife. They are in love. The voice of my beloved. Do you hear him? Here he comes. My beloved, behold, he comes leaping over the mountains. <laughs> and he's bounding over the hills. She thinks he's Superman. Right? He's leaping over a mountain in a single bound. Is it a bird? Is it a plane? No. It's Solomon. That's who it is. He's coming. And here's what she says next. My beloved is like a gazelle. He's a young stag. He's a stud. She's saying, look at him, Mama Solomon. Solomon, that's my man. Behold, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, looking through the lattice. Now, this is very important. I know you're reading this and you're thinking, that's weird. Is he a peeping Tom? What is he doing? He's standing behind the wall, peering through the lattice. That's a creep, right? No, this is not a peeping Tom. He's a curious George. <laughs> he's not a peeping Tom. He's a, he's a curious George. He's looking through the lattice and he's saying, Daddy likes what Daddy sees. He's like, uh-huh, I want me some of that. Daddy likes what Daddy sees. Now, men, a word of advice for you. This works 50% of the time. 50% of the time, this works. And here's what you can do. You can go up to your wife and you can say, hey, baby, 
I like what I see. And the first time you do it, she'll be like, oh, stop it. That's so cute. Stop it. You're being silly. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. And then you could say the same thing the next day. She's like, quit it. I told you, leave me alone. Be serious. <laughs> and you're like, it's the same thing I said yesterday. Yesterday, I was cute. Today, I'm a creep. How do I know which one? But you know what? Players got to play and you got to shoot your shot. <laughs> I'm just telling you, you never know which one's it going to be, so you got to try. Listen, I, I'm, a, I'm a big baseball fan. Any, any Astros fans? Any Astros fans? Jose Altuve. He gets a hit three out of every 10 at-bats, and he's an all-star. Men, three out of every 10 attempts, you're an all-star. That's all I'm saying. That's all I am saying. <laughs> this is why the men like going to this church, amen? <laughs> Moving on, my beloved speaks to me and he says, arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away with me to Lupe Tortilla. They're going on a date. He's going to pick his wife up after a long week of working. He's the king. They're tired. They're exhausted. And he goes and he picks her up and he's going to take her out on a date. And when they go out on the date, they're going to have a very important conversation. They're going to talk about the foxes. They're going to talk about their fears. And they're going to talk about the future. Here's what she says. For behold, the winter is past. The rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth. The time of singing has come. They're in love. The voice of the turtle dove is heard in the land. And the fig tree ripens its figs. The vines are in blossom. I'm just trying to help the Bible come alive for you guys, okay? They give forth their fragrance. Arise, my love, my beautiful one. Come away with me, oh, my dove, in the clefts of the rock, in the crannies of the cliff. Let me see your face. Let me hear your voice. Your voice is sweet. Your face is lovely. Verse 15 is where we're going to spend the preponderance of our time today. Catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that spool the vineyard in the foxes that spool the vineyard, for our vineyards are in blossom. My beloved is mine, and I am his. He grazes among the lilies. If you want to know what that means, I can't say it. Read a commentary. Until the day breathes and the shadows flee, turn, my beloved, be like a gazelle, be like a young stag on the clefts of the mountain. This is the way that God desires and designs for your marriage to be. That God desires and God designs for your marriage to be beautiful, to be loving, to be flourishing, and to be fun. God designs and desires for your marriage to be like a vineyard. It's a place of rest, rejuvenation, and relaxation. People go on vacation to vineyards. This is the way that God desires your marriage to be. I mean, just listen to the way that they talk and speak to one another. She says, my beloved is mine. He gives himself 100% holy to me, and I give myself 100% totally devoted to him. My beloved is mine. I am his. He grazes among the lilies until the day breaks and the shadows flee. You know what she's saying? All night, all night. You thought Lionel Richie came up with that. That's God. God came up with that. My beloved is a gazelle, a young stag on the clefts of the mountains. This is the way that God imagines for our marriages and our relationships to be. They're to be like a vineyard. Now, here's the deal. A marriage like this doesn't happen overnight. 
A marriage like this, it takes hard work, devotion, dedication, time, energy, and investment because vineyards don't grow overnight. Vineyards take hard work, time, energy, emotion, and investment. That's the same way marriage is supposed to be. Vineyards don't grow up overnight. You know what grows overnight? Weeds. Weeds grow up overnight. And here's the difference between weeds and vineyards, right? Roots and fruits. And when it comes to your marriage, the deeper the roots, the sweeter the fruits, right? The more time, energy, the more dirt you get on your hands, the greater the root system, the better the fruit that you're going to enjoy in that relationship. But weeds, they have no roots and they have no fruits. For those of you who are single and you're looking to find somebody to spend your life with, don't get a weed. You need to find a vineyard. I take my daughter Esther, we go for walks around the neighborhood and one of her favorite things is to pick flowers. And when we're out picking flowers, she always picks the weeds. And she's like, look daddy, I got a flower. I said, no baby, that's a weed. A lot of you, you're dating weeds. Okay, you don't need to be looking for weeds, you need to be looking for vineyards. Someone who has a deep root system so they can produce great fruit in your future. Because the deeper the roots, the sweeter the fruits. There's a difference between vineyards and weeds. God desires for your marriage and relationship to be like a vineyard. And I was reading this week a little bit about vineyards and winemaking and gardening because I have no clue about any of those things. And so here's what I discovered. As I was reading it, they tell you that there's a couple of things that you have to watch out for when it comes to taking care of your garden or your vineyard. First thing is weeds. Obviously, you gotta get that taken care of. But the other thing, the most devastating thing is small rodents like foxes because you got to keep them out of it because if they get into the garden or the vineyard, they're going to gnaw the roots and they're going to eat the fruit and you're not going to have any harvest left over. But it's not the big animals that you have to worry about. You don't have to worry about the big animals because you just build a fence, shoot them and barbecue them and that's, that's good for that, right? Unless you're a vegetarian and then we'll pray for you. But it's the, it's, it's the, it's the little animals that go in undetected, that are left unchecked, that cause the greatest amount of damage. It's, it's the foxes. She says here, our vineyards are in blossom. Our relationship is grown. It's flourishing. It's amazing. It's sweet. It's awesome. Our roots are deep. Our fruit is sweet. But we still got to catch the foxes. Because if we don't catch the foxes, well, then everything's going to eventually fall apart. And so you got to catch the foxes. So here's what me and Ashley thought about this week. We want to share with you nine of the most common foxes that we see in relationships. Okay, we're going to share with you nine of the most common foxes after doing dozens and dozens of marriage counseling, premarital counseling, and catching foxes in our own relationship for 15 years. I want to share with you nine of the most common foxes. The first fox, if you're taking notes, write these down, is priorities. When the priorities are out of order, guess what? Everything in the relationship falls out of order, right? And most time, the biggest problem is an issue of priorities. Here's the way your priorities should be. God first, marriage second, children third, and then work, and then whatever comes after that. This is what we see set up in the book of Genesis. The first words in the book of Genesis is in the beginning, God, right? God comes first. He makes Adam and Eve. That's a marriage. And then he tells them, be fruitful, multiply. That's children. And then fulfill the earth. That's work. God designed marriage and relationships to fall under a certain priority. God first, marriage second, children third, work fourth. And then whatever comes 
after that. But the biggest problem in many relationships is the priorities get inverted. And when the priorities are inverted, that's when jealousy comes into the relationship. Because God is a jealous God. And when you remove him out of the top priority, God is jealous towards the relationship. But what I've also discovered is when it comes to women, typically women put the children before the husband. And then the husband feels neglected and left out and he becomes jealous as well. But the husband oftentimes puts hobbies or works before their wife. And then the wife becomes jealous and the kids become neglected and the marriage begins to fall apart because the priorities are out of order. Here's what you got to do. You got to keep them in order if you want to keep your marriage in order. God first, spouse second, children third, work fourth, and then whatever comes after that. That's the priority that God intended when it comes to relationships. And so here's the question that I want to ask you today. I want to ask you on a scale of one to 10, how are your priorities? I want you to sit down with your spouse this week. After each one of these foxes, I'm going to ask a question, and I want you to rank your spouse on a scale of 1 to 10 how you're doing when it comes to catching these foxes. And so the first question that I want you to figure out is I want you to say, how are our priorities? On a scale of 1 to 10, don't argue, don't fight, listen so you can catch the fox. The second one is money. True or false, the saver marries the spender. True or false? It's true. It's true, right? right? I'm a saver. Ashley will spend money for the both of us. There's no worry about that, right? I'm the saver. Ashley's the spender. And, and one person tends to handle the money and the other person tends to forget all about it. That's kind of the way it is. And so when you get married, you think, oh, we have dual income, but you forget you have twice as many mouths to feed and you have twice as many bills to pay. And so then it becomes a tension and a struggle around what do we do with our money? Notice to say our money. Okay. Two become one. That means you have one bed, you have one bank account, you have one life, right? You got to share your income together. And so money becomes a really big problem. Researchers have actually discovered that couples who fight about money in their first year of marriage are three times more likely to divorce than those who do not. Money is typically the first fox that shows up in a relationship. But here's the deal. It's one of the easiest foxes to catch. All it takes is this thing called a budget. You ever heard of one of those? Yeah, it's a budget. That's all it takes to sit down and then to work it all out. We want to help you. So if you click in the comments right now, we have a budget form that we give to our church. It's free for you. Download it and then sit down with your spouse and create a budget so you can catch the fox. So here's my question. When it comes to your finances, how are you doing? I want you to rank one through 10 how you're doing. Take the budget, fill out the budget. Number three is poor communication. Poor communication. This is what happens whenever you make a plan without telling your spouse. Okay, that's called poor communication. Has it ever happened to you? You're like, hey, babe, going to hang out with the boys on Friday night. She's like, no, Susie has dance recital. You're like, well, you didn't tell me that. Well, you didn't tell me that. Okay, well, I can't cancel. Well, I can't cancel. I guess we're both going to stay home. And then you hate each other and you want to be anywhere else but home. That's called poor communication. When you make plans without including your spouse, what that does is it dishonors them. And then it makes them feel disrespected and they're not included in the decision-making of the home. And then it creates all sorts of conflict and problems later down the line because you're not working towards one vision. You actually have division. 
Division your marriage. Do you know what division is? Two visions. You're going in opposite directions because you have poor communication. So here's what you need to do. You need to sync up your lives together and share one vision through your communication. All right, me and Ashley, we have a calendar that we use. We sit down on monthly and then we work out the calendar and then every week we sit down and we make sure our calendars are synced together. She has full access to the Redemption Church calendar. She's in our leadership calendar. She's in our church staff calendar because she knows everywhere I'm at, what I'm doing, who I'm meeting with, and where I'm going. But she also includes all of her events, like doctor's appointments, daycare, pick up here, do this. She includes all of hers in there as well, so that way I can know where she's at, and we have clear communication between the two of us. Because this is a big fox for us. Okay, I'll tell you a story just to let you know I'm not perfect. Several months ago, before COVID-19 happened, I was working and there was this phone number that just kept calling me. And I'm like, I don't know you. I'm not going to answer this phone. Right? I'm not going to, random number, just going to let it go to voicemail. And they never left a voicemail. So I'm working, here I am, doing my thing. And then I come home and I get home and Esther is not there. Like, this is weird. Normally she greets me at the door. And then I remembered, it was my day to pick her up from daycare. The strange number that was calling me, that was her daycare. <laughs> Hey, where are you at? Come pick up your daughter. And I was an hour late picking my daughter up from daycare. Do you know what that's called? Poor communication. That's totally my fault. It was a fox in our relationship. So we had to sit down and we had to have a conversation to be able to catch the fox about poor communication. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to ask your spouse, how am I when it comes to communicating with you? On a scale of one to 10, how is our communication? Do I make plans without including you in those plans? Number four, mental health. This one is important and it's often neglected. It's, it's mental health. Whenever Ashley had um, given birth to our, our first daughter, Esther, she went through a really bad case of postpartum depression. For like six months, postpartum depression was, was really a big deal and it put a lot of struggle and strain on her relationship. Now, there was nothing she could do about it, but at the same time, there was a burden and a weight that was placed upon me and it put a stress upon the relationship because, because of the, the depression. Many times, one or both people in the relationship will be suffering from mental health at one point or another. The number one prescription medication in America is depression, and there is a stigma around it to where people don't want to talk about it or get help. You need to get help. If there is depression, anxiety, mental illness, bipolar disorder, if there is postpartum depression, if there's some sort of past abuse, trauma, something in your life that you need inner healing and help towards, please get help. For the sake of the relationship, take your medication, go see a doctor, see a counselor, do something to get help. Because getting help doesn't mean you're weak. Getting help actually will make your marriage better. And so when it comes to this issue, talk to one another. Ask the question, how is our mental health? On a scale of one to 10, the fifth one is this, in-laws. Or maybe I should say outlaws, amen? (laughs) How many of you have in-laws? How many of you have outlaws? Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. But Jesus says, a man will leave his mother and father and cling to his wife. 
He doesn't say that he'll bring the family into their new family to cause drama. No, no, no. You can save that drama for your mama because that ain't happening here. One of the biggest problems that I see in so many young relationships is that the two don't know how to leave their family and start a new family. They're always split between families and hobbies and vacations and they're going to Christmas here and going to Thanksgiving here and they're having Arbor Day over there and they're trying to figure out how do I eat 17 turkeys and buy 24 gifts for people I don't even know and it puts a lot of struggle and strain on the relationship because that's not the way that God intended it to be. Your family becomes your extended family and your spouse becomes your new family. Me and Ashley had a hard time learning this until one day we realized that our family is this family and this is the most important family for us. The biggest problem is whenever a mama's boy marries a daddy's girl, right? That is big, 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 big problem because what happens is when they get in a fight, they run and tattle to their parents and he goes to their mom and say, mama, you wouldn't believe what she said and did. And then they talk to each other and she says, you're just like your mama. And she's like, my mama was a saint. You better be just more like my mama because my mama makes amazing apple pie. Why can't you cook like my mama? And they're like, oh, I'm going to tell you what my mama said and I'm going to go tell your daddy. And then the daddy comes in. Oh, you wouldn't believe what he said to my daughter. I'm going to whoop him and I'm going to get him, right? Big, 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 big problem. So here's what you want to do. Somebody said that sounds like us, right? Wait till you get home to have that conversation. So here's what you do. He talks to his family, she talks to her family, so that way they can become their own family. How is your relationship with your in-laws on a scale of one to 10? Number six, technology. In the last five years, you wouldn't believe this, 30% of divorces list Facebook as a major contributor. Facebook, right? They're on Facebook tagging each other in memes, making fun of one another. And then the husband blocks the wife and says, you can't see this, right? Terrible, terrible, terrible. But in reality, technology has actually become a really big problem for most people. Uh, The average American spends nearly five hours a day on their phone. On Sunday morning, check your screen time. Conviction, (laughs) conviction. Uh, Netflix reports that the average American and consumer watches two hours of Netflix a day. And then according to Forbes.com, the average American spends more than nine hours a day in front of a screen. Do you know how much time couples spend together? 15 minutes at family dinner while they're checking their phone. Convicted? How many of you ever had your kids say, Daddy, put down your phone? Esther said that to me. That was the worst thing in the world. This is a fox in our relationship, and I'm pretty sure it's also a fox in yours. So let me ask you this question. How is your technology? On a scale of one to 10, do you honor one another technologically? And then here's number seven sex. Whenever I meet with a couple, oftentimes they're fighting, they're disagreeing, they can't get along with one another. One of the first questions to ask him is, how is your sex life? And normally, it's not very good. Pretty much non-existent. Now, they would say, the reason our sex life is bad because other areas of our marriage is bad. That if the living room is better, the bedroom would get better. But I would actually say, the two are not mutually exclusive. That if the living room's better, the bedroom's better, but also if the bedroom's better, then the living room's going to be better as well because it creates a connection between the two of you. There is a closeness and there is a bond and then there's an agreement that you have together. And so the better the bedroom, the better the living room, the better the living room, the better the bedroom. Let me give you just a little hint, okay? The more you wrestle, the less you fight. The more you wrestle, the less you fight. Okay, but that's actually true. 
And this is, don't take my word for it, take the Bible's word for it. Here's what the Apostle Paul says. He says this in 1 Corinthians 7, 5. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreements for a time so that you might devote yourself to prayer. Right? When you're playing defense and he's playing offense or she's playing offense and you're playing defense and you're denying and depriving one another, are you doing so so you could spend more time with God in prayer? Okay, if not, do not deprive one another. (laughs) This is the Bible. I'm just reading what the Bible says. (laughs) But then again, so then you come again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of control. He says, do not deprive one another because sex is such an important part of your marriage. And if you don't, Understand the meaning and the value and the reason that God gave sex, it will become a fox and you will use that fox to attack one another. And so do not deprive one another. None of what some of you are thinking. You're thinking right now, you're like, but I'm not in the mood. Give you a little hint. Just a few kisses in just the right spot and then you're in the mood. It's amazing how that works. It's amazing how that works. And, and you think, oh, but I've had such a long day. What better way to close out the long day than spending time together? You say, oh, but I just, I just don't feel like it. Listen, if you only ate when you were both hungry, then you would be starving. And a lot of marriages and relationships are starving because they're depriving one another when it comes to their sex. And now I'm going to say something and it's probably going to cause a fight, but it's important to say. Research has shown that sex actually relieves headaches. So there goes your excuse. So I'll let y'all discuss on a scale of one to 10, how's your sex life? The next one is this, unforgiveness. Let's just be honest, okay? When you get hysterical, you get historical, don't you? (laughs) When you get hysterical, you get historical, right? If I leave my dirty clothes, I'm getting in trouble for something I did seven years ago. (laughs) Because when you get hysterical, you get historical. But do you know what that is? That's called unforgiveness, where you're holding past hurts against the other person. When you are hurt and you're unforgivable, what happens is this, you become an archeologist and you're digging up old bones, looking for ammunition to be able to use against one another. The, the, the book of first Corinthians says, love keeps no record of wrong. So we need to be a forgiving people. Listen, unforgiveness is not only damaging, it's also demonic. It's, it's a demonic attack in your marriage. And here's actually what the book of Ephesians says. It says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity for the devil. Whenever you let the sun go down without forgiving your spouse, what happens is this. You give the enemy a foothold in your marriage and you're allowing Satan free reign to release foxes into that relationship because unforgiveness and bitterness is a demonic stronghold that you allow into your home, you got to get rid of that box and you got to do so by forgiving one another. Listen, marriage is spiritual warfare. Some of you are like, spiritual warfare? Do I get a helmet? Did I sign up for that? (laughs) Right, marriage is spiritual warfare. And this is the storyline of the Bible. Satan doesn't show up until the wedding. If you read the book of Genesis, Satan doesn't even show up until after they're married. Here's the storyline of the Bible. Wedding, war. 
Because Satan hates marriage. God made marriage. Satan hates whatever God creates. Satan wants to attack whatever God creates and whatever God blesses. You better believe he's going to try to curse. And so he's going to try to come in between your marriage because he knows if he can get between the husband and wife, he don't have to worry about the kids and generations with their last name and legacies will be destroyed for years and years to come. Satan hates marriage and wants to do anything that he can to take out your marriage. And the most demonic, devastating, and deceiving fox that he has is unforgiveness. So let me ask you a question. Is there anything you're holding against your spouse that you have not forgiven them for? On a scale of one to 10, how is your forgiveness? And then lastly, number nine, lack of appreciation. Song of Solomon is so important because it's all about appreciating one another. I mean, all they're doing is compliments back and forth, back and forth. I mean, just listen to what they say. The flowers appear on the earth. The the, the time of singing has come. It's the sound of music. I mean, they're just singing to one another. It's like watching Glee or something. And the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. The fig trees ripen. The vines blossom. They give forth their fragrance. Arise, my love, my beautiful one. Come away with me. What is that? That's nothing more than the language of appreciation. Do you appreciate your spouse? Are you blessing them, encouraging them, speaking life into them? Are you praying for them? Are you opening heaven over your home to be able to appreciate and to encourage one another? And I'll let you know this. If you don't appreciate your spouse, give it enough time, somebody else will. If you're not appreciating your spouse, Over time, that fox will dig a little hole and that fox will find another. And if you don't appreciate your spouse, eventually somebody else will. Listen, adultery doesn't start with the hands. Adultery starts with the heart. Adultery actually begins way before the hands ever get involved. Because it's an emotional need that is going unmet, and then they begin to fill and find that need in somebody else. And so for men, if a man is constantly berated, beat down, discouraged, criticized, and complained against, and he never sees any appreciation or respect in the home, well, guess what? As he goes into work, you better believe Satan's going to put some pretty girl in there who's going to give him a compliment. Great job on that report. I really like the way that you did that job. And he's going to say, was that a compliment? I've never got one of those before. It actually feels pretty nice. And then as he's at work, he never even noticed that girl before. But all of a sudden, he's going to her office, checking to see what she's up to. How's her job going? And that's what leads to an affair. Because there's an emotional need that goes unmet and they begin to get that emotional need met somewhere else. But the same things for the ladies, right? If a husband is emotionally neglecting his spouse, if he is unavailable emotionally towards the kids, if he's always out working, playing video games, having hobbies with his friends and he's never home, well, eventually she's going to feel lonely and you better believe next time she goes out with her friends, there's going to be some guy at the bar who starts a conversation or some guy who slides in the DMs and says, hey, how are you doing today? And she's like, somebody actually cares what I'm feeling. And that's where the affair begins. Adultery doesn't start in the hands. Adultery starts in the heart. Long before it ever reaches the hands, it starts in the heart. And it's because there is an emotional need that goes unmet. It's normally a lack of appreciation. And some of you are probably thinking right now, is Byron hacking into our security system? <laughs> How does he know this about us? I know this because this is, this is a part of my life as well. 
that for the last 15 years, me and Ashley, we have been catching each one of these foxes in order to have the marriage that God intends for us to have. No, I'm not spying on you. This is human nature. You're not that unique. Many people in the church struggle with the exact same things that you struggle with. But we still need to catch those foxes. And so I want you to go home, have a conversation on a scale of one to 10. How many foxes do we have in our marriage? Some of you are thinking three, four, five, six, seven, but there's foxes I don't even know. Oh my Lord, I got so many foxes. We're doomed. Okay, actually you're not. I'm gonna help you. It's not that hard to catch the foxes. It it, it really isn't, okay? So I was talking with a pastor from Uganda many, many years ago, and he was actually preaching over this verse, and we were talking about it in Bible class, and as he was there, he asked the question, how do you catch foxes? Now, in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, well, I gotta create a little schematic. We gotta lift a fence. We We gotta put some bait here. We gotta set a trap here. I'm engineering a pulley system, trying to, you know, recreate the wheel and saying, okay, we can do this now. And he says, actually, it's not that hard. He said, how do you catch foxes? The answer is simple, one at a time. That's all you got to do. Catch one fox at a time. This week, go home, identify the biggest, baddest fox that you can, and then sit down and catch the fox. And then the next week, you catch another fox. And then the next week, you catch another fox. And then 50 years from now, guess what you're going to be doing? You're still going to be catching foxes. But when you do, you're going to have deep roots and sweet fruits. Because you're going to have a marriage that is a vineyard that God blesses. It grows. It flourishes. But you got to catch the foxes. And here's what happens if you don't catch the foxes. Eventually, they'll become fierce. The first thing he says is to catch the foxes. And the second thing we need to know is we got to conquer the fears. If you don't catch the foxes, they'll become fierce. But if you catch the foxes, you can conquer your fears. Here's what happens next. Verse 3, 1. On my bed, by night, I sought him whom my soul loves. I sought him, but I found him not. She's dreaming. She's having a dream. She's having a nightmare. I will rise now, and I'll go about the city streets and in the squares, and I will seek him whom my soul loves. I sought him, but I found him not. The watchmen found me, and they, as I sought them, they found me. They went about in the city. Have you seen him whom my soul loves? Scarcely had I passed them when I found him whom my soul loves. And then I held him, and I would not let him go until I had brought him in into my mother's house and into the chambers of the one who did conceive me. She has a fear and her biggest fear is that the relationship won't work. Her biggest fear is she's going to wake up one day and he's gone. Her biggest fear is divorce. She has a dream and then she wakes up and then she's mad at him. How many of you, this has happened to you as well? Right, Ashley used to have dreams where I would cheat on her, where I would leave her, and she would wake up in the morning and she would hit me. I'm like, what did I do? She's like, you cheated on me. I said, I did not cheat on you. I'm right here. I've been here all night. I didn't cheat on you. She's like, you left me and you cheated on me and I'm so mad at you. I was like, that was dream Byron, not real Byron. (laughs) Why are you mad at dream Byron? Dream Byron's a jerk. So now I'm in trouble for something my, her imagination created while she was sleeping. But the truth is, is that Ashley had a fear. She had a fear of divorce. Many of you, you have a fear because many of you, you grew up in broken homes. You grew up in single parent families and you watched the devastation of failed relationships with your parents and with your friends. 
And so there's a great fear. Ashley and I, we grew up in broken homes. Ashley, she was raised by an immigrant mother in Houston as a single mom. Ashley's dad actually became an alcoholic. He lost a job, he became homeless, and he died homeless on the streets before we were married. That's the home and the environment that Ashley grew up in. It was verbally abusive, physically abusive. And so she had tremendous fears when it comes to being in a relationship. My mom is a drug addict and alcoholic in and out of prison and rehabs, facilities, and hospitals my entire life. I don't even know who my dad is. I met him one time, never saw him again. We didn't have the models and relationships growing up of what we should aspire to be like. And so in our relationship, there was great, tremendous fear. Many of you, you have great, tremendous fear. This is one of the reasons that millennials are pushing marriage all the way back into their 30s because they have fears when it comes to getting married. But here's the deal. Fears don't need to be fed. Fears need to be conquered. You don't need to feed your fears. You need to conquer your fears. When me and Ashley first got married, our first anniversary, here's what we we wanted to do. We wanted to go climb the tallest mountain in Texas, Mount St. Helena out at Big Bend National Park. I've always kind of had a fear of heights. And my fear isn't really of heights. My fear is actually of falling. (laughs) More like my fear is hitting the ground. That's my biggest fear. But I had this fear of heights, but I wanted to conquer my fear of heights. And so we decided we're going to climb Mount St. Helena. Now we prepared, we trained, we bought all of the camping gear. We went hiking, we got ourselves ready. And then when we went, we had three days in the valley and then we climbed to the top of the mountain. When we got to the top of the mountain, I peered over the side and it was the most amazing, incredible, beautiful view that I'd ever seen. But I would never have seen that beauty if I didn't first conquer my fears. See, you have to conquer your fears if you want to see the beauty of a better marriage. You have to conquer your fears. And the truth is, the odds are against you. 41% of first marriages end in divorce, 62% of second marriages, 73% of third marriages. The average American divorce rate is close to 50%. Couples who do not go through premarital process, the odds just get higher and higher. Couples who get married under the age of 22 have some of the highest divorce rates of any age bracket. Me and Ashley, we got married at 22 years old. We come from a broken home and we did zero premarital counseling. There is a lot of reason for fear when it comes to our relationship, but fears do not need to be fed. Fears need to be conquered. And let me tell you how to conquer your fears. God's way. If you do it God's way, you get God's best and you get God's blessing on your marriage. Because here's the truth. The best way to prevent divorce is to have God's plan for your marriage. The best way to prevent divorce is to have God's plan for your marriage. Christian marriages are better marriages. And I don't say that because we're better than others. I say that because statistically, they simply are better. If the national divorce rate is near 50%, the divorce rate in the church, according to the University of Virginia, Bradford Wilcox, 15%. 15%, okay, 35 plus percent less likely to divorce in the church. Why? Because the best way to prevent divorce is to have God's plan for your marriage. So let me give you three ways for you to conquer your fear. It's probably going to sound familiar because I said it last week and I said it the week before. First way is to pray together. Right, I tell you this every single week. I'm beating this drum. Pray with your spouse. Don't just pray for your spouse. Pray with your spouse. Early in the morning, sit down, make time, 
pray together, connect spiritually before the rest of the day begins. Pray together. And University of Texas, I read this this week. University of Texas at San Antonio came out with a study a few years ago, and here's what they discovered. Couples who prayed together in the morning every single day. The divorce rate for them is this. Not one out of two, one out of every 1,126. One out of every 1,126. If you don't pray with your spouse, you just don't want your marriage to get better. I mean, that's just the way that it is. I don't know how else to say this clearly. Like, if you don't make time in the morning to pray with your spouse before the day begins, you just don't want your marriage to get better. I mean, I don't know how else to say it. I mean, that one out of every 1,126, that's incredible. That is incredible. That is foolproofing your marriage to work. And here's what they say. Couples who pray together, together. it's trite, but statistically it's true. The second one is this. Read your Bibles together. The, the couples with the highest divorce rate in America are couples who do not share the same theological values and beliefs. People who do not have the same religious convictions are three times more likely to divorce than anybody else in America. The divorce rate for couples who do not have the same theological convictions, 120%. You're like, that's not even a number. Okay, I know. It's because some idiot tried to do it over and over and over again, and that's why the number got above 100 because everybody thinks they're the exception to the rule. You're not. Do not date non-believers. Do not marry non-believers. And here's the reason why. Because you disagree on authority. Because you have no final rule and authority in your relationship. Here's what Christians believe. The Bible is God's word. It's true, it's trustworthy, and it's the final authority in the life of the believer. God's word tells us who he is, how we are to live, and how we are to build our life. As Christians, we live under the word of God because God's way is the best way. It's not always the easiest way, but it is the best way. As Christians, this is how we live our lives, under the authority of the word of God. Non-believers, this is how they live their life. Over the authority of God. They say, God can't tell me what to do. I'm not going to live my life like that. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to follow that because I am smarter than God. I am better than God. I am the own authority in my life. And when you have a disagreement on authority, you have no foundation for the relationship. How in the world could you reach a consensus on what's most important when you don't share the most important thing in your life? It's not going to work. When the Bible says the husband is to be the spiritual leader of the home, okay, if he's not a Christian, he can't do that for you. If it says to love your wife like Jesus loves the church, if they're not a Christian, they can't love you the way that God created you to be loved. If the Bible says that you are to tithe 10% and one of you is not a believer, that's not God's money, that's my money. I earned that money. You're not going to give my money to that church. When the Bible says to serve and to bear one another's burdens and to love one another, if you don't have an agreement on the foundation, everything's going to begin to fall apart because it's an argument about a foundation. It's an argument about authority. As Christians, we live under the authority of God. And if you don't agree on authority, you're not going to agree on anything else. God's word gets the final word. So you need to be reading your Bibles together. And I know what people are thinking. They're like, but he believes in God. Demons believe in God. I wouldn't suggest you date one of those either. (laughs) But she's hot. Hell's hot too. You don't want... 
you don't want hot, you want holy. That's what you're looking for. Read your Bible together. And then lastly, number three, go to church together. Churches aren't just for weddings. Churches are for marriage. See, people think, oh, I'm going to get married in a church. I'm going to get married. It's going to look great in the photographs. There's a nice little stained glass in the background. Oh, the aperture is so beautiful. And, and, and my grandma likes it because she's like, it's holy. God blessed it. They got married in a church. But it doesn't help if you don't come back to church till you're dead in a box. <laughs> right, you you got to keep going to church. Because churches aren't just for weddings, churches are for marriages. Because when your marriage is rooted in a local church, here's what happens. You have accountability, you have encouragement, you have resources beyond your own help and need, you have people who are praying for you, you have people who are going to kick him in the butt and hold you accountable, you have people in your life that are going to be blessing, speaking life into, and loving and helping preserve that married relationship. You're going to serve together, you're going to give together, you're going to discover your spiritual gifts together, your kids are going to be raised in the church together, and you're going to leave a legacy that lasts longer than you do when you're involved in a church together. The best thing you can do is to be a part of a local church. In fact, even the university or Harvard University agrees. Harvard University, in a secular non-Christian study, came out with this, that couples who are active in a local church are 47% less likely to divorce than couples who don't. Here's the reason why. Because God's plan is the best way. The best way to prevent divorce is to have God's plan for your marriage. Christian marriages are better marriages because it's the marriages that God loves to bless. God made marriage. And so God can make your marriage better. God's way, God's way is the best way, and the best way to prevent divorce is to have God's plan for your marriage. You can conquer your fears, and here's why. Because 1 John 4.18 says this, there is no fear where? In love. But perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishments, and whoever fears has not received the perfected love of God. God casts out fear. You want to cast out fear in your relationship? Get Jesus. Jesus in the middle of it because Jesus defeated death Jesus defeated the grave and if Jesus can resurrect from the grave he can resurrect that marriage back from the dead and if he can conquer Satan sin hell death and the grave he can conquer your fears too get Jesus in the middle and conquer your fears which leads to the final point create a future you want to catch the foxes you want to conquer your fears and then number three, you want to create a future. She's going to turn and she's going to give dating advice to her single friends because they see the type of marriage that they have and they say, I want something like that. I'm tired of all of this. I want something better. I want something greater. I want something more. And so she asks them, how do you get the type of marriage that you have? And so she's going to turn around and she's going to address her friends and she's going to tell them that they need to create a future. Here, here's what she says in verse five. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles and the does of the field, that you do not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. The first week of the sermon series, I gave you a challenge. 
I said, for the entire 10 weeks, here's what I want for the married couples to be doing. I want you to pray together every single morning, read your Bible together every single morning, and go to church together every single week. Okay, that's my challenge for the married couple. But I added one more for the singles, and here's what it was. No sex. 10 weeks, no sex, no porn, no hooking up, no nothing. No sex for 10 weeks. And here's the reason why. Because she says the way to create a future is to do not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. Another variation of that says until it's time. I get asked all the time as a pastor, People ask me, where is the line? When it comes to sex, where is the line? How far can we go before we get in trouble? Where is the line? And I say, that's the wrong question. The question isn't, where is the line? The question is, where is your heart? Because if you're asking that question, you don't really care about what the answer is. That's like saying, how much sin can I get away with before God gets mad at me? Because your heart's already in the wrong place. The question is not, where is the line? The question is, when is the time? When is the time? When is the time? It's marriage. And I know this sounds backwards. I know many people hear this and think, Byron, that's crazy. Nobody believes that anymore. That's outdated and archaic. That's just not the way that the world works. I know it's not the way the world works, but look around. The way the world works isn't actually working. The Bible's way is different. People think that's not normal. You know what? It's not normal. Purity, saving yourself for marriage, abstinence before marriage is not normal. But you know what is normal? Divorce, abuse, heartache, heartbreak, shame, guilt, condemnation, abortion. Do you know what else is normal? Normal is hookup, shackup, cohabitation, repeat, do it all over again. And all of the shame and manipulation that so many relationships are built upon, that is normal. So if you look around, here's my encouragement for you. If you are single and you want to create a future, if you want what everybody else has, do what everybody else does. If you want what everybody else has, fine, go ahead, move in with your boyfriend, hook up with that girl that you met from a bar, send her another DM. If you want what everybody else has, just keep doing what everybody else is doing and you're going to end up with what everybody else has. But if you want something different then you have to do something different. If you want something different, you have to do something different. And the truth is, as Christians, we are different. The way we live, the way we love, the way we build our life and our future together, it just is different. And so let me give you three tips for better dating. And, And no, they're not online dating profile tips. They're actually really good tips, okay? Here's the first tip. For those of you who want something different, you need to limit your time. Listen, you're going to get a lot of time together when you're married, but right now you need to limit your time. Hang out with your friends. Don't abandon your friends right now. Hang out with your friends. A lot of times when I'm doing premarital counseling, couples are getting married and I'm like, okay, who's your bridesmaid? And they're like, the girl that I went to kindergarten with because I lost all my friends in the last dating relationship I was in. And so now they're going way back into the past and they're gathering friends that they haven't seen in 12 years because they don't have anybody to stand beside them and they get nostalgic. You need to limit your time. Spend time with your friends. Hang out in a group. There's only one thing that you can't do in a group that you can do alone. 
or at least you shouldn't do it in a group. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> Lord Jesus, help us. <laughs> Spend time. Limit your time together. Hey, if you're, if you're single, this is the time you need to be catching foxes. Don't be deceived. You still have foxes too. Don't be racking up credit cards, spending all of your money. Don't be, you know, being an idiot and sleeping around and playing video games till three o'clock in the morning. No, you need to be catching your foxes right now. So that way when you get married, there's less foxes in your vineyard. Now is the time for you to catch your foxes and limit your time. The second thing is this, limit your touch. You would be amazed at how hard it is to have sex with all your clothes on. Keep everything hooked, buttons, latched, on, tied, whatever it is. Keep your clothes on. Keep your clothes on and keep all four feet on the floor. That's your feet and their feet because when things get horizontal, that's when things get vertical. Limit your touch. Was that worse than the wood? (laughs) Limit your touch. And you got to set these boundaries up front. You have to set them up front. You have to tell them where the line is. Don't wait until you're in the backseat of a car and try to tell them where the boundary's at because that's not where it's at. Don't wait until you're watching Netflix at three o'clock in the morning and you've seen The Office 17 times. You know ain't nothing good happen at three o'clock in the morning. Don't do that. Set the boundaries up front. You say, if you like it, then you better put a ring on it because you ain't getting none of this. All right, limit your touch. The great philosopher MC Hammer said, don't touch this, right? That's, that needs to be your song. For those of you who are dating, me and Ashley's song was the ring of fire. It should have been, can't touch this. That needs to be your, your song, right? And then the third one is this, limit your talk. Don't make promises that you have no intention to keep. Don't be telling anybody, you're my only love. You're the only one for me. There's nobody like you. You complete me. I'm going to love you always and forever. You don't know that. Limit your talk. Don't make promises that you can't keep. Save your vows for your wedding day. Because here's what's going to happen. Six months when the relationship doesn't work, not only are you going to break their heart, you're going to break your word. Right. And, and it sets yourself up for shame and you'll stay in that relationship years longer than you know you should be because you're too embarrassed to be able to backtrack on your word. Limit your talk. Save your vows for your wedding day. And if you do these things, guess what happens? You create a future together. You create a future that safeguards, preserves, and protects the relationship. Because as you do this, you're catching foxes, you're conquering fears, and you're creating a future together. Listen, I know that this is different, but if you want what everybody else has, guess what? Just do what everybody else does. People don't talk about these things. People don't do these things. And that's why they have what they have. If you want what everybody else has, then do what everybody else does. But if you want something different, then you're going to have to do something different. And Christians, we do things differently. Do you know why? Because we're different. The way we live, the way we love, the way we give, the way we serve, the way we organize and build our lives together is just different because as Christians, we are different because we know that marriage is not about us. Marriage is ultimately about Jesus. I was talking with a young couple who had just gotten married and they were so sweet and so cute. And I was checking up with them and asked them, how are you doing? They said, I didn't think it was going to be this hard. 
<laughs> I didn't think it was going to be difficult. I thought it was just going to come naturally. Oh, no. <laughs> Two becoming one ain't easy. That's not natural. That's supernatural. Yes. See, natural is selfish. Natural is self-centered. Natural is putting your wants and needs before anybody else. That's natural. But the way that we view marriage, it's not about us. It's about Jesus. And here's what Jesus tells us in John 13, 34. He says this, a new command I give to you. Love one another the way that I have loved you. Why would Jesus command us to love? Right? Because love is not just a feeling. Love is a choice. Love is something that we are commanded to do. Because there's going to be days you don't want to catch foxes. There's going to be days that you don't want to conquer fears. And there's going to be days that you don't want to create a better future. There's going to be days where you don't want to do it. You don't feel like doing it. That's why Jesus commands you to do it. Because you're commanded to love. Listen, as Christians, we don't fall in love. We walk in love. See, whenever you first got started dating and you saw them on, the, on MySpace or maybe your high school girlfriend or maybe you met at a bar, you saw them and you thought, oh, I'm falling in love. But as Christians, we're called to walk in love. And here's what walking in love is. Years and years of dedication, devotion, energy, investments, hard work, getting our hands dirty, building a vineyard, catching foxes, conquering fears, and creating a future. We don't, we don't fall in love, we walk in love. And this is why Jesus commands us to love one another. Listen, there's days that Ashley doesn't want to love me. I mean, look at me, I'm, have y'all seen me? I mean, like, like the way that I'm crazy, type A driven, workaholic, there's days she's like, I can't stand them, I can't, I don't want to, right? And then she just chooses to love me. Right, there's times in our relationship where I don't feel like loving Ashley when she's, you know, buying organic, non-HGMO foods for our daughters and she's drinking her LaCroix soda and driving me crazy. Like, there's days where I'm like, I don't know if I want to keep doing this. But we do it because we are commanded to do it. Jesus says, love one another the way that I have loved you. How has God loved us? That God has been patient towards us. God has been generous towards us. Jesus Christ, he has been loving and faithful and kind towards us. He gives us grace. He gives us mercy. He's been working on you for a really long time. You know that, right? Like he puts up with some of your junk. You fail him. You let him down. You sin against him and he loves you anyway. That's the same way that we are called to love our spouses. Because Jesus lays down his life for us, we are to lay down our lives for one another. We don't fall in love. No, we make a daily decision and choice to walk in love. The way that Jesus loves us is the way that we are to love one another. And if you do this, here's what you get. You get a vineyard. You get a vineyard that is flourishing and fruitful, that is fun, that is enjoyable, that is beautiful. And that's the design that God has for your relationship. But here's what you got to do. You gotta catch the foxes. I want you to go home, have the conversation. Sweetie, what foxes are in our vineyard? So that way we can have a beautiful marriage. The second thing I want you to do is what? Conquer the fears. Read your Bible together. Pray together. Go to church together. And then lastly, I want you to create a future. If you want what everybody else has, do what everybody else does. If you want something different, limit your time, limit your touch, limit your talk. 
That's how you catch the foxes. Well, thanks again for tuning in with us here at Redemption Church. If this message was helpful to you in any way, leave a review, like, comment, or share with your friends to help others experience life change through Jesus. Oh.